welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. This is episode number 37, and I am very pleased to have on the show Mr. Sam Felton, director of the Public Health Collaborative, who is bringing together a group of leading doctors and nutritionists across the United Kingdom to tackle obesity and type 2 diabetes. In this episode, Sam is going to dive into the implications for cost to the healthcare system of things like obesity and type 2 diabetes. He'll also discuss the latest research on the benefits of low-carb, high-fat diets for type 2 diabetes, as well as the practical implications on the day-to-day for how you can take control of your health. A lot of phenomenal insights here by Sam. If you're not familiar with this topic, I suggest you revisit episode number 15 with Dr. Jason Fung, a diabetes expert from Toronto, as well as episode number two on metabolic flexibility. So a lot of great stuff here by Sam. Please check out my layups and performance hacks at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. And I hope you enjoy the show. I am joined today by Sam Feltham, Director of the Public Health Collaboration, a charity dedicated to informing and implementing healthy decisions for better public health. Prior to this, Sam studied at the European Institute of Fitness to qualify as a master personal trainer. From there, he became a personal trainer in London, England, and launched a national fitness bootcamp business called Smash the Fat Fitness and Fat Loss Bootcamp. Sam's major definite purpose in life is to help as many people as possible obtain and maintain a healthy lifestyle. Sam, really appreciate you taking the time out today. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Listen, I want to talk about this journey you've had from from personal training to to director of the public health uh, collaboration in the UK and all the incredible work that you guys are doing. So can you start by talking us through your beginnings as a personal trainer? Gosh, so... um... Yeah, uh, as you mentioned in my introduction there, I uh, qualified at the European Institute of Fitness um, and that was in 2010. Um, And as um, other personal trainers will attest to, um, you come out of that bright eyed and bushy tailed and kind of ready to take on the world. Um, 100%. Always, yeah. (laughs) And then I, uh, I moved to london and managed to get a cheap rate on my brother's box room um so moved moved into a box room nice and um from there uh started working uh, just a regular chain gym really um and you know it was okay at first um but uh in in time i f- i felt like it wasn't exactly what i envisaged um at the start so um i decided that i'd i'd try to get out of the chain gym because you know it's personal training um and when you're kind of waiting for machines and things like that it's like okay this is really breaking up things and you kind of have to do something else that you didn't necessarily program for yep so it's like okay this isn't really personal training is it um, so i decided right um i need to reevaluate this how i'm going to do it um and what what i ended up setting on because before all of my personal training i used to be a snowboard instructor 
Um, and a big part of that is is group training um, because you get so much from being being in a group. So I wanted to go down uh, the group training route and I decided to set up a, a fitness boot camp business um, called Smash the Fat. Um, and uh, from there, um, I, I always personal trained kind of at the same time, but did did that mobile so I went to people's houses and kind of met people in parks and things like that and I felt a lot more like this is proper personal training because I could do what I wanted when I wanted rather than kind of you know having to wait and things like that absolutely um so uh yeah but my main focus became the fitness boot camp business um and I got so much out of that um, in terms of helping large numbers of people at the same time, but also the environment that you can create in group training environments um, is, is electric. Um, and anybody that's kind of, you know, been to a CrossFit gym or anything like that, um, I'm sure can vouch for that as well, because it is, it is electric uh, once uh, once you get it right. Um, and then after about, I think it's about, maybe 18 months, uh, maybe verging on two years that I decided that I'd, I wanted to grow the business and I decided to go down the franchise route, ended up with 10 locations across the country um, and, you know, ended up helping hundreds, if not thousands of, of people across the country lead healthier lifestyles. Um, but I always felt as though I kind of got to a point where, there are so many people coming to us saying that they tried everything and their doctor keeps on telling them to, you know, eat healthy whole grains and eat low fat yogurt and things like this. Um, and we'd have to re-educate them in order to um, get them to eat the right things. Yeah, make you those know, gains. It's like fighting an uphill battle, isn't it? It really is, and if you kind of you you have healthcare professionals telling people one thing, and then you have this just this PT who's who's telling them something completely different, um, it makes it very very difficult. So I decided, right, we need to tackle the root cause of all of this, uh, which is current dietary guidelines, um, and get them changed for the better, so that then. It's not a constant uphill path battle um, for for people out there, such as personal trainers and, and healthcare professionals, um, in order to try and help people lead healthier lifestyles, uh, because it's just it's just another barrier that's in the way. I mean, not only is our environment um, not healthy friendly, um, but also the intellectual environment isn't healthy either, in terms of the fact that you still have these arguments about saturated fat and fat and, and carbohydrates and all that jazz. Um, so trying to remove that from the equation so that people can just get on with what needs to be done is, I mean, is, is going to help out a lot of hope. It's so well said. I mean, the, just the environment around us is, uh, you know, it, if people just go with the flow, I mean, you're going to end up overweight, obese, pre-diabetic. Mm -hmm. It's almost the normal response to that. 
Um, and you mentioned helping those so many people with your boot camps, but you also had a you know podcast, Smash the Fat, that was or on YouTube that you know, with millions of viewers were tuning into this, right? Yeah, well, um, incredibly. I tell you what, I, I looked at the stats. I think, oh, maybe about six months ago, and we ended up and we had two million downloads. So I was like, whoa! <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't expecting that. Um, which is double um, of the the listeners from from when I stopped in uh, 2016. I, uh, I I I stopped podcasting on on Smash the Fat and and the YouTube channel as well. Um, but that's all still up there. Um, and 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 will be uh, for forever. So anybody that does want to look at the archives, for sure, <laughs> then they're, they're more than welcome. But effectively, you have these successful franchises. You're reaching a lot of people via the podcast and YouTube, and you decide to steer away from that uh, towards the the public health uh, collaboration. Can you can you walk folks through uh, how that came to be? Yes. So as I was uh, talking about before, I uh, got to it was the end towards the end of 2015 that uh, I was ending up in this philosophical quandary where. I wanted to tackle the root cause of what was causing all of this, what is still causing all of this. Um, but also, um, I have this successful business at the same time. So uh, I had to bite the bullet and say that, right, it's time just to, to walk away from all this because changing um, creating the changes that we want uh, requires me to have no conflicts of interest um, and no possibility of any conflicts of interest. Um, people often ask me, why didn't you just sell the business or anything like that? Um, well, even if I sold it and legally I had no ties to it at all, I'd always be um, tied to it by association Um and uh, that would always be deemed as a conflict of interest. So in a way, um, Smash the Fat had to kind of be a bit of a martyr for me to start the Public Health Collaboration, which is um, a, a charity, a non-profit organisation. Um, and it has to be that way to create the changes that we want to see. Um, you have to completely remove the conflict of interest argument from the opposition as they are at the moment um and the the best way to do that was by just walking away from smash the fat and closing it down entirely in order to focus on the phc um so when i made that decision um the thinking was that i would bring um a group of highly respected doctors together in the UK um, to create a scientific advisory board. And uh, that board would then write reports in regard to the most pressing matters of public health. Um, those being at the moment, obesity and type two diabetes down the line, we're gonna be tackling other things, but um, because obesity and type two diabetes cost the NHS uh, the most amount of money for singular um, diseases uh, within the NHS. It costs the NHS £16 billion a year, which is 16% of the budget. Um, 
those are the things that we have to tackle and will make the most impact um, on on public health and on the NHS as well. Um, so uh, yeah, I've got all these doctors together, sorry. And uh, then in February, we set up this um, this online crowdfunding campaign through Indiegogo, managed to raise uh, eleven thousand um, pounds within a month, um, and then ever since uh, March two thousand and sixteen, uh, we've been trying to uh, create the change that we want to see. Yeah, it's incredible stuff. And if we can, you know, for all the docs and nutritionists and trainers and, and folks listening in. Um, to kind of really paint this picture, one of the people that I'd heard speak, and, and when I met you briefly at the Low Carb uh, Medical Conference there in Denver earlier this year, um, hmm. Dr. David Unwin's talk on how he got into this and having worked 30 years in general practice and never having reversed any patients with diabetes and really just managing type 2 diabetes as most um, primary care physicians do, and then how his, how his career sort of changed with, with a, you know, a specific female patient coming in and having adopted this low-carb approach for her pre-diabetes diabetes can you share a bit of that story with folks to really kind of paint the picture mm, so um for, for anybody that doesn't know him um dr david unwin is um a a general practitioner or a family doctor in the north of england um and uh as you found out in 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 denver there he is the most incredible doctor and only if we had a cloning machine in in order to create the same as him um that'd be incredible um but his his wisdom can be passed on to others thankfully um because of the way that he goes about things uh but um david specifically he was he was run down as many as many gps are of family doctors um and particularly in the NHS, they're very, very overworked because the, the, the way that things work in the NHS is that your first port of call for a non-emergency um, medical condition is to go to your GP first. Um, and the, the most straining uh, disease that there is is type 2 diabetes um, and um, their GPs are very, very overworked. They don't have time to do research. They just follow the guidelines um, that are set by uh, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. Um, and those just kind of go on saying that, you know, people with diabetes, any type of diabetes, can uh, can eat what they want as long as they take their medication, um, which as we all probably know is not the way to do things. Um, but what happened is that one of his patients did um, take matters into her own hands um, and decided to follow a low-carb real food diet. Um, and in time, she was able to reduce her medication um, and uh, she went back to to Dr. Unwin. I think it was um, an interval of about six months in which um, she made these changes and came back, you know, about, you know, 30, 40 pounds lighter. And, you know, he was amazed. He didn't realise who she was. She, he thought she was a different person. Um, and uh, she said, that that uh, he's going to be angry with her 
for making these changes, which is quite telling. Exactly. Um, I was going to say the of, same uh, thing. Of people's mentality, that even though you've made improvements, your doctor's going to be angry with you. Um, and, you know, this is repeated around the world with people like Dr. Gary Fetke, who, who cured diabetes inappropriately. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, he cured just... it, but it's completely inappropriate to do that. Apparently, yeah. As a surgeon <laughs> and a doctor, it is. Uh, yeah, totally gives you the, an idea for the state of the uh, playing field today, right? Exactly, exactly. So um, uh, he he decided to to look into this because you know he was amazed by this transformation, and and discovered lots of. Um, Lots of things like doctor.com and also diabetes.co.uk, um, which is a private organisation in the in the UK and is different to the to the mainstream charity in the UK um, called Diabetes UK. Very confusing, exactly. but once you get down with the lingo, it's it's all good. Um, but uh, yeah, then over the period of of a few years, he he managed to reduce. Um, the, the medication costs in his practice to be the lowest in his local area um, and he's consistently the lowest in his area um, and that was such an inspiration for me that um, I certainly wanted wanted him to be part of um, the scientific advisory board but um, he's actually essentially the the model on which we are replicating across the country um, so we're helping uh, family doctors across the UK um, to implement these changes into their practice uh, to become the, the lowest cost um, within their, their area and saving thousands um, and hopefully in the future millions of pounds for the NHS through drug reductions and also preventing um, surgery. For those with type 2 diabetes because the majority of spending on type 2 diabetes in the uk at least is on um on surgery for complications such as blindness and uh and amputations as well um so if we can prevent that from happening then we save thousands millions and in the future maybe billions if it gets implemented nationwide yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I was just speaking to some orthopedic surgeons in Canada as well. Yeah, the rates of surgeries for um, foot amputations, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and even, you know, complications with heart disease. I mean, the costs are incredible. So to have these sort of positive outcomes and also being able to reduce costs and to circle back to Dr. Unwin there, to have a doc who did something a certain way for sort of 30 years and then decide mm -hmm. to change courses is pretty remarkable as well. So, you know, can you tell folks, because, you know, a recent study came out, you know, pre-diabetes, diabetes in America now, about 50% of the population fits into this category. You know, in Canada, we're maybe a little bit better, but not much. So, you know, mm. we often hear these arguments about low-fat versus low-carb diets, specifically for this pre-diabetes, diabetes. Um, you know, what does the latest research tell us in that comparison? Right. So, <laughs> um, uh, in the, in the UK, we're at 35%, and that was in 2012. So, um, going on. The, the, the numbers that they looked at, it's probably increased to more like 40%. And that's just pre-diabetes. It's uh, it's 6%, I think, with type 2 diabetes specifically. Um, but uh, 
in terms of the actual research, um, there have been about 14, off the top of my head, 14 randomised controlled trials um, between low-carb and low-fat diets um, with participants that are living with type 2 diabetes. Um, and of those 14 RCTs, um, low-fat diets have only significantly improved HbA1c once um, and uh, low-carb has improved um, HbA1c significantly 10 times um, and uh, it, they've also improved triglycerides um, I think it might be 11 times but um, low fat has never significantly improved triglycerides it's never improved HDL um, either uh, significantly um, yet low carb has done this um, the majority of the times through the RCTs um, and that goes for weight loss as well um, in comparison so low carb um, the majority of the time has improved weight loss in comparison to low fat but low fat has never um, improved uh, weight loss in comparison to, to low carb significantly um, so you know low the the essential um, bottom line of this is that low fat has never outperformed um, low carb in terms of glycemic control weight loss um, triglycerides, HDL cholesterol, um, but low carb has done it several times. Yeah, and for, so, fo for folks listening at home, HbA1c that's effectively your you know your three month average of blood sugars, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's curious, isn't it? Because obviously the low fat is sort of the general paradigm that most diabetes associations run off of with the dietary recommendations they give, and of course yeah. when you see stats like that, and if you guys unpack that really well at the on, on your website in terms of having all the details and, and research and studies there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, in, you know, one of the things as a clinician for me in terms of boots on the ground is, is adopting a lower carb approach for most people is actually pretty simple. You know, the message is really clear. We're kind of looking for, mm -hmm. for one specific thing. Um, the compliance rates are, are there in terms of going up. People tend to get into a caloric reduction as well just by adopting, you know, a lower yeah. carb diet just without even trying, without having to count calories. Um, yeah, yeah, it just comes naturally. And you, you, you see that in the research as well, you know, um, the... Um, even though they're they're told not to not to count calories or anything, um, the calorie reduction is usually the same as low fat. Who are told to you know do the Harris Benedict equation minus five hundred, and then you know you you follow it strictly um, and to the letter. Um, but with low carb, you're just told you know just avoid those foods focus on these foods and eat however much you want but they end up eating the same and with a lot less hassle um, and their hunger scores are always lower as well yeah a much more intuitive way of, of doing it and you also provide on the website some really cool you know food sugar equivalent tables can you walk us through uh, mm. you know whether it's things like whole grain breads cornflakes rice etc yes so actually let me just bring bring that up because um these so We've got these um, teaspoons of sugar equivalent infographics um, created by, by Dr. David Unwin um, because it can be 
relatively complex in you know a, a six minute doctor's appointment which you get in the UK um, to go through these things so he decided to uh, put together these infographics um, that show uh, the equivalence of uh, of teaspoons in portions of cereal so um, you know for instance a standard 30 gram serving of cocoa pops um, has uh, the equivalent um, glycemic uh, glycemic index and glycemic load um, is 7.3 teaspoons of sugar. So you can say that you know your usual cocoa pops at breakfast, you're actually having 7.3 um, teaspoons of sugar. Corn flakes, it's 8.4 teaspoons of sugar. And that's amazing because um, folks would say, oh, I'm shifting over to a healthier version. I'll try corn flakes for breakfast. Yeah, and, you know, yeah you... exactly. I'm going to go from frosties to corn flakes, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's 10 times healthier. And it's like, well, no, not really. Um, <laughs> actually, it's, it's not that much different because, um, you know, glucose is glucose pretty much. Um, you know, the fructose isn't going to help in, in terms of the actual sugar that's in frosties but um you're still going to be getting a, a significant uh, rise in your blood glucose absolutely um, and these are great handouts for docs who are definitely listening in nutritionists because this is something in mm. as you mentioned that six or eight minute visit i mean just the visual alone for for patients and clients is, is a huge yeah. uh you know it's a re it really hits reality in terms of realizing okay i need to make these sort of changes right very much so um and, and these are freely available on the website so uh, you know feel free to to go there and it's it's for, for the sugar equivalent infographics specifically it's uh, phcuk.org forward slash sugar um and that'll that'll get you there and you can download them all there but um i mean he he has lots of these ones and you know a, a bowl of rice is 10 teaspoons of sugar um uh, a 150 gram serving of of white potatoes is nine um teaspoons of sugar um, a banana, um, just average banana, um, is six teaspoons of sugar. Um, and, and those are things that are, are very important for people um, that have and are living with uh, pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes as well. Um, because, again, as you were kind of talking about before, people will say, yeah, I'm, I'm making healthier choices. And, you know, they're going from Frosties to cornflakes with... with they think that it's healthy, but they're going from frosties to cornflakes with bananas. And it's like, well, <laughs> you're not making a difference there at all, really. Um, so, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, it's important stuff. That clarity of that message is so great because it's just focusing in on the carbohydrates. We tend to eliminate all the processed uh, foods, yeah. all the high sugar foods, um, et cetera. And so, you know, another area which you guys talk about you know, in terms of snacking is definitely something that has definitely mm. infiltrated the public consciousness. I know this is one where in medicine I've done a you know, unfortunately, a poor job of sort of convincing everyone that they need to eat every three or four hours or they're just going to collapse and fall over in a heap on the side of the road. And so this ultimately, yeah. you know, I had Dr. Stefan Guillenay on and, and, and Dr. Brad Schoenfeld as well, who went through the, the evidence showing that this does not help at all in terms of weight loss. And of course, it does just maintain these high blood sugar levels. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I mean, snacking really is, it's a new invention. Um mostly propped up by the food industry who want us to eat as much as possible 
and, and creating snacks is the best way to do that. So not only are you eating Kellogg's for breakfast, but then you're going to have a Kellogg's bar uh, at 11 um, and then you'll have a sandwich for lunch and then you'll have a packet of, uh, of crisps or chips, um, as you say, in North America. Um, in the afternoon and you know just creating these these extra times of day for snacking means more sales for the food industry so they were definitely totally behind this um, in terms of pushing it um but it kind of it wasn't helped by um the bodybuilding industry as well um so bodybuilders particularly when pumping iron came out in the in the 70s you know, you had this amazing display of these incredible physiques and these guys eating mammoth amounts every three hours. Um, but the reason is, is because they're constantly exercising and they're big guys, they're huge guys. And it's, and it's not fat, it's metabolically active tissue um, muscle that's, that's on them. So they need to eat that much in order to maintain that kind of physique. Absolutely, uh, when yeah. they're exercising. So, um, they what a lot of people did was that they applied what you know full time bodybuilders are doing to the public, and the public are lucky if they get in a half an hour workout three times a week. <laughs> you know, um, and and that's just for starters. When you're a full time bodybuilder like Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, so that was propped up by that. Um, and then along with the, the, the low fat dogma that came out of the 80s, um, it wasn't snacks like eggs um, and, and things like that. It was um, Kellogg cereal bars, um, which are going to send your blood glucose sky high um, and make you hungrier, certainly in the long term. Um, and then governments came on board saying that you need to eat every three hours otherwise you collapse even though most people um throughout um western countries have copious amounts of energy stored on them <laughs> um, absolutely yeah that, then, that 10 yeah. percent fat person has about thirty thousand, and then of course yeah your obese uh, pre-diabetic might have a 60 to 90 to 100 thousand calories right so they're not exactly oh, low yeah, on fuel easy. right no, that's right. They're, they're going to be all right for, for, for at least a few days. And um, this is where it's unfortunate because those folks are actually just following the advice that they were given, aren't they? I mean, most totally. of the clients that I go in, they're yeah. doing it because they were told that's the way to go. And when they find out yeah, that the opposite absolutely. is true, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, circling back, it's a great that you point out the nuance and the importance of context as well with sort of the bodybuilding community. And, you know, if people are fit and active and training a lot and how that changes the conversation around carbohydrates, if mm -hmm. you're an athlete, et cetera, whereas definitely in this situation, it's such an so effective and such an easy win that it's, a, it's almost a no-brainer, right? Hey, very much so. Um, con context is, of course, everything um, when it comes to things like this. Um, and, you know, again, like the sports drinks industry, um, having, you know, high-level athletes um, promoting this stuff, and then you have, you know... Um, Dave from Calgary, who who trains once a week for ice hockey, you know, and getting him to drink uh, um, uh, uh, sports drinks every single sports drinks in quotation marks sugar drinks yeah. every every day because 
you know, Wayne Gretzky's got it. It drinks it on on TV <laughs> um, is just absolutely crazy. Not that I know that Wayne Gretzky's ever done uh, done sports drinks adverts or anything like that, but um, yeah, it's it's really awful um, in terms of that. Uh, For sure, and that we see whole that whole as... advertising um, cycle that, that that's out there, and, and it definitely needs to stop. And um, I hope that. Uh, there, there are sports people, and I know I know that there are sports people out there that do turn down um, sponsorship deals uh, because of that. But I hope it, it that trend continues, and eventually we get to a place where it's the same as tobacco, where you know there's no advertising for those things at all. Yeah, I mean it's definitely something that in clinical practice I have a lot of clients who are, you know, men and women who are you know, doing endurance training, whether it's cycling or whatnot as a recreational pastime. And of course, just, just guzzling down, um, you know, sugars and sports drinks and their, you know, their goals aren't, they're not performance based. They're, they're sort of weekend warriors. And, you know, they're, they're, of course they're wondering why they can't lose at 20, 30, 40 pounds and wondering why their blood sugars are hovering yeah. around. And so it's amazing how we just a little bit of a switch. We can get a lot of traction there. Now, can you tell folks about, you know, some of the big wins that you're getting around, you know, the, the UK and England with, with working with the GPs and, and again, it's more of the mm. savings that are going on with, with using this approach? Yeah, so um, as, it, as I mentioned before, we've only actually been uh, going since March 2016, so, so about 18 months, um, or coming up 18 months, but um, uh, it's been an incredible journey and so many uh, doctors and healthcare professionals um, around the world have come out of the woodwork to, to help support us, but um, we actually have a... Uh, a map on our website of real food GPs um, and we, we currently have about 40 on there um, who, who are willing to be publicly um, named on our, on our website. <laughs> yeah. there, there, there is several um, who, who would prefer um, for now um, not, not, not to be shown on there but they're very supportive. Uh, but there are again there are several uh, GPs that, that are doing particularly well um, quite a few from the south um, of England, um, one in Berkshire, um, Dr. Vipan Badwaji, who, um, Badwaj, sorry, um, who uh, is now the lowest cost surgery for anti-diabetic drugs in his local area um, because of implementing uh, what we're talking about. Um, then there's Dr. Campbell Murdoch in uh, in Somerset, which is the the west uh, southwest of Eng of England, um, who's who's also seeing similar things um, in in his practice and his area. Actually, there are a lot of there's a lot of support in uh, in the West Country there, um, and there, there there are lots of pockets um, uh, around the UK where there's a real movement. Um, towards this and we're, we're really at that stage where we're putting together everything um, in a more structured and organized way in order to create the change that we want to see and that, that's really one of the, the underpinning um, things about the PHC is that we just want to uh, organize um, and give structure to the individual efforts of all of the real food GPs that are out there um, in order to collect their results, create an evidence-based 
from the real world um, and say, look, we've been doing this, we've got these results. Um, and in comparison to, to what else, to, to what uh, you're saying, it's 10 times better, for instance. Um, so it's probably wise that we start rolling this out nationally. Um, it is incredible, is, isn't it? I mean, results are better, cost is lower at that point. It just gets difficult yeah. to ignore, doesn't it, from a government level? Removing yeah, all the yeah, emotion yeah, so from even low-carb, low-fat, just, just looking at it from purely a... Precisely. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, 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 it's all about just uh, appropriate action for specific situations. I mean, that's just life, really. <laughs> you 100%. Know, you, should, you should just take appropriate action for specific situations. You know, um, if, for instance, you know, you're in an avalanche... Um, you're not going to take a take a democratic vote in a group um, to decide whether you know we should get out of the way or should we stay put. You know, you just take action straight away. But if you know you you have you're voting on a government, for instance, yeah, you you take your time um, and uh, you go through the proper democratic process. So um, this is just the appropriate action. Um, type 2 diabetes is a disorder of carbohydrate metabolism. So let's address uh, it. Uh, so a reasonable um, and logical step is to implement some form of carbohydrate restriction. So um, that's that's basically all we're saying with that. Um, and that, yeah, we should focus on real food, high nutrient density um, and everything like that. Um, but uh yeah, it's a it's a bit of an uphill battle, but we are starting to turn the heads of um, of a lot of doctors, and they're they're coming on board. We're getting a lot of support. Um, we've just launched an ambassador program where we have um, volunteers who are local representatives throughout the country, and we've got sixty three of those at the moment. Um, who are just, you know, based in towns across the UK, um, who are going out to GP practices uh, to tell doctors and healthcare professionals about the PHC, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, and how we can help them as well. Um, and, you know, all of the PHC stuff, it's 100% for free. There's no like commission structure or anything like this in terms of making savings and all this jazz. Um, it's 100% free. And the idea is just to help as many people as possible obtain and maintain a healthy lifestyle. Because um, that's what I want and what the organisation wants as well. Um, we just want to improve people's health <laughs> and reduce uh, health costs as well that's all yeah it's phenomenal phenomenal work and i mean for any of the gps listening in around canada i mean if you're if you're frustrated with the results that you're getting in terms of helping people out you know all those references and um, and um handouts and whatnot on the on the website are just phenomenal um so so congrats on all that work and if we can i, mean, I want to respect your time here sam so if we shift gears here a little bit and maybe just on the personal side here you know you're a busy guy can you give the listeners a little snapshot into your morning routine uh, you know, are oh, you a gosh. coffee drinker, black tea? How do you how do you kick yeah. things off in the morning? Uh, so, well, um, I just became a dad um, about three and a half months ago. Congrats! So, um, my, thanks, man. My my routine's all over the shop at the moment, but it it, it tends to start at about seven. Um, 
where where I'll I'll just get up and I put I have my morning I just have coffee um, just with full fat milk um, just to the moment um, and uh, I probably work for a couple of hours um, from seven till nine I don't I, I don't have breakfast really um, I just drink coffee in the morning um, work a couple of hours um, maybe take a break for an hour and then go back to uh to work at the computer i'm literally i'm mostly on a computer all day um unless i kind of have meetings in london or, or elsewhere really or i'm doing a talk somewhere um it's mostly just all on the on the computer or on the phone um and then midday i'll uh i'll work out um it's usually just some kettlebell stuff and some body weight stuff and i do a one mile run once a week so i just run as fast as i can oh, for a mile. Nice. all out mile run um i think it's, it's the best way for me i'm i'm no fan of endurance but uh i think i think being able to to run a mile solidly is uh is important um and then uh what do you call it then you know have lunch and things uh, and then I basically work from from two till six, just terrific. Well, those sports are... and, and and stuff like that. And you know, in in between, I'll uh, I'll I'll help out my wife with uh, with our daughter as well, um, just if she needs like a five minute break or something. <laughs> Not, <laughs> like nicely that. done. I've definitely seen uh, you know the co- the association between coffee consumption, red wine consumption, and having children seems to both you know all arrows go up after that. So um, yeah. Good, That's right. good stuff That's there. Right. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time out uh, today, Sam. Where can people keep up with the work you're doing at the Public Health Collaboration and stay connected with you on social media? Mm, so best place to go in terms of the Public Health Collaboration is our website, which is phcuk.org. Um, and you'll be able to download all of our free materials from there. Um, but you can, of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter um, at phcuk.org um, on both of those uh, social media networks. Um, and from there, you, you'll you'll be able to keep up to date with with everything that's going on. And then personally, um, I'm I'm on Twitter as well um, at Sam Felton, and that's F E L T H A M for mother. Um, and uh, yeah, people can follow all my musings there. Um, sometimes I get into um, stupid arguments with um, some of the opposition. Terrific. <laughs> um, although I, 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 I always keep it keep it civil, that's for sure. Um, and uh, I'm learning more and more when to bite my tongue. But uh, sometimes I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Well, appreciate that. We're going to include all those links in a brief podcast summary uh, with the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Sam, thanks again for coming on and thanks for everyone else tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs. You can use the hashtag drbubspp. If you enjoyed the show, please take a couple minutes, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and give us your rating on the show. And uh, thanks again. We'll see everyone next week. Dr. Bub's performance podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's performance podcasts.